Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Whoa, whoa. Get it? Maybe not. Read the title of the song or the episode, <laughs> and then this. Okay, what's up, everyone? How's it going? <laughs> You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Shimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Yep, song makes it's, total sense. It's not one. No, it's it's not one. It's two. It's Double Masters time again and again. Uh, that's it's a, we, we had a reach this time, but Double Masters preview season is here. Lots of really exciting cards, and we have two to preview as well ourselves. And after that, we're going to be talking about, well, our new episode of Extra Turns, which a lot of you, by the way, have been tweeting us about, messaging us about. It seems like it's doing pretty well out there. Yeah, so we're going to discuss a little bit about that game. I just realized the fact that it's double masters, and they gave us double the amount of previews. Oh, two. I'm sure they did that on purpose. That makes ah. total sense because everything about this master set is doubled. Our preview cards. Well, one of them is very, very cool. But hold on, before we get to it, if you want to pre-order double masters, or maybe you still need to get your hands on Jumpstart like me. <laughs> me too. Uh, I'm still pretty far behind. Yeah, or M21. Ikoria, Commander Products, lots of stuff has come out recently. Go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's the best place to order all of your Magic Sealed products, your singles, anything at all. They are going to get that stuff to you the fastest and in the best condition. Uh, Card Kingdom really is the place that Jimmy and I use to order our own cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently ordered a whole bunch for a new deck that I'm building. I'm sure we'll talk about that in the future, so oh. I won't spoil it now. But cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Plus, the cards we're talking about today are going to be up for pre-order and order soon. And we'll talk about when the best time is to get these types of cards, the reprints. Uh, and Pretty soon, by the way. <laughs> Pretty soon. <laughs> we're all going to be behind. Uh, and of course, big love and a shout out to Ultra Pro, our other sponsor for the show. Josh and I, again, the things that we trust in this world, Card Kingdom, right, for their great service and the great quality of grading of their cards, and Ultra Pro for their great products, their satin towers, their eclipse sleeves, every single thing that we use to protect the cards that we get from places like Card Kingdom because they're worth something. They are valuable and we want to treasure them and use them forever. So that means putting them into a eclipse sleeve, using them on a nice play map, making sure that you are protecting your play pieces because they matter to you. And so Ultra Pro is the place that we always trust to make the right product to make our product live forever. 
Live forever. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Samuel, Samuel McLeod, McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Only one may stand. <laughs> <laughs> no, there can be only one. There can be only one. Yeah, yeah don't yeah. get it mixed up. Oh, yeah, of course the, not. Yeah, the taglines. Right. No, totally different. No lawsuits <laughs> happening here. Samuel you rock. <laughs> if anybody watched the old Highlander series. Or the movie with I'm uh, Duncan McLeod from the Clan McLeod. <laughs> but he said from the Clan McLeod like every episode on the TV show. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. In okay. case you viewers forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, on to Double Masters preview card. So it's preview season for Double Masters. Um, if you don't know, we're going to go over what Double Masters is really quick. It's an all reprint set. Similar to the Masters sets from the past. Mm-hmm. I think the most recent one was Ultimate Masters. Yep. There's Iconic like Masters. Like a year ago or Modern more. Masters. Yeah. Eternal Masters. Um, these are just sets where they... It's only reprints. There are no new cards in it. But this this Double Masters has a twist to it. Um, hence the name Double Masters. Each pack, each booster pack has, a, has double the rares slash mythics Whoa. and two foils. Whoa. So you get two rares, you get two foils... Yes, that's per booster pack. Um, each booster box of Double Masters will also come with two non-foil borderless showcase box topper cards. Right. We've seen those a lot before in the past. I think with the Master set as well. Ultimate but- Masters had the box topper packs, but it was only one. This time you get two cards in there. But of course. I'm not sure if it's two different packs or two cards in one pack. I, I don't know that for sure. <laughs> but I know you get two showcase non-foil box topper cards, though. Um also, there are these crazy, have you heard about this? These crazy VIP? Yeah, VIP packs about the price of my car. They're $100 <laughs> per booster pack. Um, we'll link it in the show notes. I don't even know exactly what's in the the $100 booster pack. but It's got to be a lot, though. That's a thing sure. that's out there that yeah. exists. I think you can get the foil showcase versions of cards oh, okay. in the VIP boosters. I mean, these are for the ultra collectors. Uh, for everyone else, we usually recommend buying singles off places like Card Kingdom or just buying a box to draft with friends. I'm sure there's going to be a fun limited environment as well. I mean, a lot of people are like up in arms about the VIP packs because I guess it feels bad if there's a thing that costs $100 that you can't afford right. but want, which honestly, like I don't even want those. Um, I can name a lot of things that cost a lot of money that I can't afford but want, by the way. True, true, true. true. <laughs> or but don't want. There's tons. Yeah, like, I don't yeah, want true. a gold-plated Rolls Royce. I mean, I do just to sell it, though. For right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to say that the VIP packs and anything like that is actually good for you, even if you're not buying them, because those will be cards that come into the market that push down the price of the mm-hmm. regular versions or the old versions of those cards. So if you there's any cards in Double Masters that you want to get your hands on, and there are, we're going to go through a list of reprints that we know about so far. Oh, yeah. Um, VIP packs and things like that are actually good for you because you don't need the foil showcase version of a card. For instance, uh, one of our preview cards, you just get a cheaper version of the non-showcase right. version of it because with more uh, supply of that card, that means that the price is going to go down, at least in the short term. So, And if I, you want one of those cards, you don't need to open it in the booster pack yourself. You don't need to buy a $100 pack and hope you crack it. Someone else will, and then you'll, you know, the prices will, of course, be adjusted accordingly. 
I think those things are good as like prize packs or something like that because there's a high variance, but it's not a feel bad because it was a prize. In fact, I think we'll probably buy one or two for Command Zone and give them away at some point. How about that? Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Okay, so let's talk about the reprints we know about so far in Double Masters. And I want to just say disclaimer really quick here, quickly here. The preview season is not over. I think we're in the middle of it or maybe at the beginning even. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to mention the cards we know about right now, but there will undoubtedly be more than this. But yep. there's some bangers yeah and of course in you know theme with double masters the first few cards that are announced the first one of course is just doubling season Mm -hmm. a card that is a commander staple in across so many different decks affects so many things now that there are more planeswalkers on the market of course cards like doubling season just get better and better and better so it's finally seeing a reprint here which is great and always an expensive card and uh, like yes it's always up 40 50 bucks or so yeah and there are of course other budget versions of it but the original because of the texting uh, the text is so specific in terms of being able to double the counters on cards like planeswalkers makes it that much more special uh, another really good reprint, Atraxa. Yeah. So that's a big one. People, The most popular, I think, commander of all time. Yeah. And, and as a result, the... expensive, yeah. Yep. Uh, Mana Crypt, again, another card that is just, we've talked about this a lot in the past, but outside of Soul Ring is one of the easiest arguments for an auto-include into nearly every single deck if you can put it in there. And now this means that there are going to be a lot more copies on the market, hopefully, so that our players can get their hands on some. I mean, I remember in Eternal Masters, it got reprinted. Yes. And it pushed it down pretty far for a while, and then it eventually climbed back up. Now, Mystery Boosters, they did reprint it, but Mystery Boosters is a weird set where there were so many cards in that set that actually very few made into the market, so it didn't actually change the price. I think in this set, because this is kind of a quote-unquote regular set, in mm-hmm. that you get double the, full, the rares and mythics. There's a few more in the set, but there's going to put the same amount of them into the market as probably when Eternal Masters came out. So that if we see that price go down on Mana Crypt, that's, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah a sure. really big deal. Because we probably won't see a reprint of that again. I'd say at least, I, I wouldn't know, right? I can't predict these things. So, But yeah, it seems unlikely. They, 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 the Eternal Masters was the last one, right? And that was like four years ago or something. Yeah. Uh, a big Craig favorite here that's on the list is Blightsteel Colossus. Yeah, one of the great cards to cheat in. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the ones that just instantly ends games. Sometimes you need to save your co-host from it as well in game nights. <laughs> uh, yes, I remember that. Uh, uh, Jimmy, they're reprinting one of your favorite cards. Yeah, and a card that goes really well with Blightsteel Colossus as well as one of our preview cards. It's Sneak Attack. Yes. Woo! Also, I believe, was reprinted in the Eternal Masters, right? I think it was. One of the Master sets for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and a very strong card. Um, just yeah. one of the best red value cards just straight up. So I'm always a fan of seeing this back into the market. And like you said, going to go really well with one of our preview cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of probably the second biggest staple in our format is it's, it's Cyclonic Rift is getting reprinted. Thank this, goodness. This is crazy because it's not a mythic, but it just continuously climbs up to above $30. So It's the, absurd. The, yeah. The fact that it's going to be, again push that price down at least in the in the short term is really good yeah i don't think we've ever really seen because return to ravnica is one that was originally printed and that was a somewhat recent set usually cards from those sets don't jump up so high but of course the card is so good in commander i think that's what really drove it up and they even reprinted it once and it still got back up there right it's in uh, modern masters 2017 Mm, i want to say it's one of them okay uh next up a card that is a personal favorite of mine worm coil engine just a great value card um and it's one that i think again can fit into any deck uh, I think my my favorite use of Wormcoil Engine is blocking every single creature that has a sword attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a great use because it's colorless or it's an artifact. Creature. Yeah. Uh, and the next one is one of White's best card advantage cards. Maybe White's 
Actual best card advantage cards, land tax. I can't think of many others that draw that many cards. I mean, often people just pay one white mana and they've drawn six cards in the first three turns from this thing. Uh, Yes, they're all lands, but one of the great things about drawing cards is being able to hit your land drops and land tax. Again, a card that just continuously just climbs up there yep. uh, in price. Yeah. Maybe this is sort of their love letter to White being like, we know you guys need some help, of course, so we're going to give it a little bit at a time with that reprint. Um, another great card that fits into a lot of Mono White decks, in fact, goes infinite with one of the new Mono White commanders with Heliod, is Walking Ballista. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Uh, again, this is a card that just has so much value because it's played in a bunch of different formats, not just Commander, but it's very good in Commander as well, so it's great to see it back here. Combo-tastic card. Yeah, very. Uh, the next card is one I think our CD- CEDH brethren will be happy about mox opal ah uh, yeah. yeah all these really cheap mana rocks tend to see play in all of the uh competitive decks just because they're looking to get as much mana out as fast as possible right right um another card that is actually coming in at uncommon i think it's always coming in at uncommon but always manages to maintain what i'd like to call soul ring prices yeah is path to exile um one great limited so it's gonna be fun for that but also just an auto include again for any deck most decks that are running white um it's just one of the most efficient and best ways to get rid of creatures like that Blightsteel Colossus. Yeah. So again, these are just the reprints we know about at this moment. Not the entire set has been revealed. In fact, we haven't even revealed our preview card, which one of them is definitely would be on this list. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's an expensive card. But before we get into our preview card, I know everybody's excited. Preview cards. Sorry, there's two. Um, What do you think about how the set's shaping up so far, Jimmy? Big thumbs up for me. Every single card we just mentioned here is used in EDH, uh, and they are commander staples in a lot of ways. I think Atraxa is the big one that I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I don't, I didn't know if like you could even reprint the box Hard commanders, to, right? right? Yeah. yeah, like where do you even put that kind of thing? Um, obviously, we still have Commander Legends coming up, and I have no idea what's in that. But I think you know, as far as a master set goes, the value is here, right? If this was the big reprint list and that was it, I think people would still be like, hey, not bad. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be more, and we're going to add one to this list, like we said. But so far, it's shaping up very, very well. I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, yeah, again, like, who said it was last year? Like, this is really just Commander Masters. Yeah. That's what it always <laughs> feels like. That's what the like Master sets just always feel like now. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about our preview cards. Um, we've got two. Let's start with the sort of less exciting and splashy of the two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead. It is Ratchet Bomb. It's a two-mana artifact that you can tap it to put a charge counter on Ratchet Bomb. Hopefully it bombs a little more than that. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Because you can tap and sacrifice the Ratchet Bomb to destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Ratchet Bomb. Ratchet Bomb? Ratchet Bomb? Is that a Scott Pilgrim uh, reference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a Bar- Mario <laughs> reference. Um, this card is not really played that much in Commander, but that doesn't mean it's a bad card. We recently had the Blast Zone uh, sort of land that's doing a similar thing here. Yeah, it's... In terms uh, of getting rid of CMC cards. On EDH Rec, it's in a l- 1,160 decks out of a possible 400 100,000. Oh. So that's uh, statistically 0% of <laughs> commander decks that can play this card, play this card. It's. I like that you uh, mentioned Blast Zone, which is a land that does this. It, Blast Zone infinitely better because it, it takes a land slot in your deck. Not a card slot. Yeah. Retro Bomb's kind of slow. People can see it coming. The one thing I'll say is that it's, it's good against token decks because you play it and then sacrifice it for zero and it kills all the zero yeah. CMC um non-land permanent so that's the one case where it actually like seems really really good because it's two mana Mm -hmm. but when it's it's often like taking out some of your own stuff maybe there's two or three things out there you wish you could get rid of but they don't sit at the same cmc so you can really only pick one plus you gotta 
slowly climb it up to get to the point where it's there. I mean, you know, obviously it could go in like a track sense and proliferate decks to kind of get you yeah. there faster, but it still is going to take a turn or two a lot of times. You know, God forbid you want to get rid of five CMC stuff or something like that. It can take a long time. So this is like what akin to a board wipe. It's a very selective one. But typically when you play a board wipe, you'd like it to resolve immediately, not play it and being like, all right, here comes the clock. Tap one. The problematic cards are at five CMC. So uh, we'll get there eventually. Four turns, I'll probably be dead by then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it'd be one thing it was like Nev's disc, which is right comes you know into play tap but. but then on your untap step it just gets rid of everything this is like okay comes in, comes into play you tap it and it goes to one and then if you if you want to get it up there to four or five okay good luck yeah they're going to k- try and kill you as hard as possible obviously right as you climb up towards that number that's going to hurt them the most there's some politicking to be had maybe but in general i would say like hey you play this in a proliferate deck p- potentially or in a deck that is going to synergize with maybe our next preview card. Yeah, I think maybe they gave us this card paired with our next card um, because they do have some synergy together. Our next card's sort of... It's a big one. It's a big one. It's a, it's a, it's a cool one. Go ahead. Yeah, it's Avacyn, Angel of Hope. All right. Yay! This is the big mama in terms of angels. It's the card that I think when I first saw it went, that can't be real. <laughs> uh, it's five white, white, white for an 8-8 eight, eight legendary creature angel with flying, vigilance, and indestructible. But most importantly, other permanents you control have indestructible. So Avacyn comes out is, an, is a sort of a indestructible lord, makes everything, including your lands, planeswalkers, artifacts, enchantments, indestructible. Very hard to get rid of them. Yeah, your whole board is indestructible. Important note, Avacyn herself is is indestructible it's worded a little weirdly right because her ability says other permanents you control Mm -hmm. have indestructible and it's easy to miss the fact that she has flying vigilance and indestructible i don't know why they didn't just have her say permanents you control have indestructible just to make it simpler i don't know that way you don't have to have the word indestructible on there twice i'm sure there's some reason (laughs) there must be some reason yeah there's maybe some cards that take away abilities that i don't know anyway sometimes they do it with like trample like it'll be a trample creature and say other creatures with power forger have trample like so i'm sure there's some reason they like i think the templating yeah this is a powerhouse card this is this card according to edh rec uh is in thirteen thousand decks that's about that's, 13 times as many as ratchet bomb by the way yeah that's as a card not as a commander and right. remember ratchet bomb's a colorless card avison is a white card so right. it's the 29th most played mono white card so i would call that a staple i'd say anything that's in like the top 50 in a color is is a staple card in that color so right. you see it in a lot of decks that have white it might be even played more if it wasn't for its price tag as well yeah and yeah so it before Obviously, as soon as we say, hey, Avacyn's in the set, the price of it's going to go down because people know that it's going to get reprinted. But before we made this announcement, Avacyn's sitting at like 45 50 bucks. Wow. And they had reprinted it in like a From the Vaults or something mm-hmm. in, in the last couple of years. And um, it's a type of card that just continues to go up. Like it's going to go down here and then it's going to start to climb back up because this card is very, very powerful. Uh, it's, it's just great, yeah. It's often the card you're the most scared of in certain decks. Like, oh, please don't play Avacyn because as soon as you do that, I don't know how that I can get rid of what you're doing. Right. Reanimator decks obviously do very well with this. Um, as a commander, of course, you can run Avacyn. Uh, it's a bit tougher because it's an eight-mana commander, but it's really good with a lot of what my White likes to do, which is Wrath of God type effects, right? Yep. Things that are going to get rid of the entire board, but are going to keep yours alive now, so they become one-sided. Pretty exciting. Uh, Nev's Disc, which we were just talking about, gets rid of multiple kinds of permanents. And so, again, Avacyn protects all your other permanents, including your lands. Um, so, Nev's Disc, Hour of Revelation, destroy oh, right. all non-land permanents. Not yours, though, because you have Avacyn out. <laughs> Armageddon. And, yeah, that's do the this. mean one. Don't do that. I mean, 
I don't know. If you're playing mono white, I kind of don't blame you too much because <laughs> how else are you going to win? But yeah, Armageddon uh, destroys all lands. But again, if you have Evison out, not yours. That usually will ice the win right there because if you've got lands and nobody else does, it's pretty yeah. hard for them to win. You don't even need to have Evison stick for a long time. If you're not using it as a commander and you have a sneak attack or a card that gets it, like Gorio's Vengeance, that just gets it temporarily onto the battlefield, and then you can play a board wipe or something else because, again, the mana cost there isn't as extreme. It's just eight man to play Evison. Yeah, I've had somebody sneak attack. Uh, I remember this very clearly of me being like Supreme Verdict okay, and saying... You know, because in your mind, Supreme Verdict can't destroys all creatures, can't be countered. You own like so, a thousand copies. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I'm just like, everything under control, Supreme Verdict. I think this was at like GP Vegas 2017 or something. And they have sneak attack out, but I'm not really thinking about it. Because you just don't think of sneak attack being activated on your opponent's turn. Right, like a but defensive. It, yeah, because usually you want to attack with a thing. And they're like, sneak attack out Avacyn. <laughs> and you're like, oh crap, that's not countering it. And now... They keep all their stuff for and, the one red mana. And you blow up some of your stuff, too. Yeah. So, that's a pretty sneaky play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, let's talk about it. Could it be good with Ratchet Bomb, Jimmy? Uh, it, it would be a stretch. I think you're just so much happier playing Wrath of God in general or, or Nev's Disc. Ratchet Bomb, again, unless it's like you're putting it out, you're taking it up to three, you have some permanents that are on three that you like, and you happen to have an eight mana Avacyn out. That's like four or five turns of ticking up the Ratchet Bomb and well, getting your commander out. Uh, I mean, the thing I'll say in its favor is that you can get Ratchet Bomb out, tick it up, right. and then on the same turn you play Avacyn, activate, activate it. it, because okay. it doesn't cost mana, and it's really hard to play Avacyn and Wrath of God in the same turn. So, Nev's Disc is better, obviously, because you get it out there four mana, but it's only one mana to activate. So, having nine mana is a thing. Okay. Play Avacyn, then one, but... Uh, maybe Ratchet Bomb goes in those uh, Mono White Avacyn decks. Seems a little narrow. I think yeah. you're much better off putting it in the 99, which we'll talk about in a sec. But first, don't forget, there are fancy versions of this card as well for the collectors out there. I know that DJ is probably excited about this one. Uh, it's available as an, in non-foil as one of the box toppers you can get, as one of the two box toppers you get per box. And then from the VIP packs, uh, the Mercedes-Benz of Booster Bot packs, <laughs> you can get them in foil. So if you're looking to get the coolest Avacyn ever, this might be your chance. Yeah, and if you're watching the YouTube video, we they did give us the image for the uh, showcase version so you're looking at it right now it does look pretty sweet yeah um I like, I like these arts actually the most when i think about modern magic cards i think this is like this encapsulates what it what modern magic to me is all right you're a, <laughs> you're a foil guy I'm, I'm, I'm like i don't know it's a different version seems cool i don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's better than this other different version like, or not more arts <laughs> uh Avacyn, yeah so that was as a commander right you want to play a lot of board wipes and mm -hmm. take advantage of the fact that your stuff is going to be indestructible but Avacyn is actually probably mostly played in the 99 of other decks. Yes. Uh, um, especially Kalia of the Vast, one of my first commander decks I've ever built. And uh, I love this card because it gets Avacyn into play for free. However, it, it does bring it in tapped, which is kind of funny. Tapped and attacking. Right. But you can get this as early as turn three or four, depending on how you're set up in your Kalia deck and how fast you can go. It's usually the most scary thing for Kalia. Like when I'm playing against Kalia, mm -hmm. It's like, please don't cheat out Avacyn. Please don't cheat out Avacyn. I, I think that or like Runescarred Demon are probably the top two. Obviously, because Runescarred goes gets anything. Anything, yeah. But often you're just like praying they don't have Avacyn because as soon as they do, you can't block and kill Kalia anymore. Right. And you're not going to be able to like remove Kalia. And so that means next turn gets just a million times worse for you. Yeah, you have to have very specific removal at that point. And even then, you know, you have to choose, all right, well, Avacyn's out, but Kali is the problem. Yes. Do I get rid of Kali or do I get rid of Avacyn? That's the uh, thing. You're like, okay, well, I had removal, but if I get rid of Avacyn, now Kali just gets to do her thing again. 
If I yeah. get rid of the, uh, Kalia, then Avacyn hits me for eight in the air. So Kalia of the Vast, um, Jimmy, I think it's okay for us to spoil uh, sort of an important fact about it. You want to? Yeah, yes. I'm going to be playing Kelly of the Vest on the next game nights. Woohoo! Sweet. Helming one of my old favorites, uh, bringing the Mardu energy into the battlefield and dropping some scared creatures on the board. Yeah. Sounds like a bunch of fun. Kalia, one of the early, like, very scary commanders. I think over the years, she's kind of evened out, and I wouldn't put her in, like, the top tier. She's oh, still yeah. very powerful, though. Um, so cool to have you pilot a deck that you've got a lot of experience with. Yeah, big shout out to Craig. He was the one that got me into Kalia, because that definitely is a Craig-type deck. Yes, it is. Especially if you put... Just drop huge thing after huge thing. Yeah, and then give him infect. <laughs> okay, uh, obviously, Avacyn also often goes in the 99 of Angel Tribal decks. Yes. Uh, Captain Sisse, she's a great target for Captain Sisse to go tutor up. Um, the new Kalia, Zenith Seeker. Yep, flip the top six, I believe, and then you can reveal an Avacyn, should you find it, and put it into your hand, amongst other things. Yep. Um, Audric, Lunark, Marshall. Ah. Just because Avacyn has flying, vigilance, and indestructible. Yes, keyword soup. Yep. Probably good in the Tyam decks as well, in mm-hmm. that case. Mm-hmm. Right, so. so just a very good card. There's a reason why the price tag always goes up. Um, and, and I suppose we, sh- we could stop oh, sorry, here. Sorry, not Tyam, the other one. Tyam. Oh, yeah, Tyam's the... Oh, Tyam's sorry, the Cathro. Cathro, Aspect Warder. Yeah, Apologies. Right. You're right. Um, <laughs> that makes ability counters out of b- abilities in the graveyard. Yep. Uh, okay, so as I was saying, uh, it's probably a good time here to talk about the way the reprints for the set are going to work and to give some advice out there because here's what happens with these sets every single time. We've seen them for... About five years or so now. Mm-hmm. Oh, even longer. Modern Masters 2013. Came so. well, before we really started. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Here's what happens. It's a very predictable, predictable pattern at this point. Reprint stuff. Price of stuff goes down. Going to dip down really quickly. And then over the course of the next six, nine, 12 months, the prices climb back up to where they were or probably higher than they used to be. <laughs> so... Look for that dip down, and it usually occurs within like the first month of the set coming out, somewhere in there, because that's when people have got their booster. Like most people buy their booster boxes on the first weekend it comes out, or within the first couple of weeks, yep. and then they crack open all that stuff, and then they sell those cards pretty pretty quickly within that first uh, you know month or maybe two, mm-hmm. and so the floor, the the highest supply moment is you know within six to eight weeks usually of when this set comes out and don't miss that window for some of this stuff like doubling season. Yeah. Avacyn, you know, a lot of these big reprints, uh, because they will start to climb up over time and what'll happen. And this has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you, Jimmy, where, you know, 18 months down the road. Oh yeah. I really wanted to. Oh yeah. You're like, click, 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 look it up, man. I remember when that thing was, you know, $18. How's it 30 again? Yep. They just reprinted it. Well, you're like, well, yeah, they did just reprint it 14 months ago. <laughs> Which is actually quite a long time now in the Magic lifespan for sets. Also, right in the beginning, all the retailers like Card Kingdom will sit there and just crack boxes yep. upon boxes and just get their stock up so that they can sell it, of course, at these new prices. And, you know, it's a great time. Again, cardkingdom.com slash command zone to do so. So look for the price drop. It's going to happen very quickly after the release and simmer and stay there for a little bit before the heat starts getting cranked back up and boop, boop, back up to the top. Yeah, take advantage of the fact that the reprints are going to be uh, cheap for a little while. Yep. Get those staple cards. Get Cyclonic Rift for sure, stuff like that. Yeah, that yeah, you yeah. just you know you're going to use it, right? Even if you don't have a deck specifically that's, this deck needs Cyclonic Rift. If you don't have one or two Cyclonic Rifts, just pick one up because you will use that card. You won't regret it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, 
We're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. But when we come back, we are going to talk about the latest episode of Extra Turns. We're going to do not the full roundtable treatment, but some game analysis, see what we can learn from that game. Also, we're going to hear from Mitch and Lady, who have both sent us in some clips talking about the game and their perspective on it. So Exciting. we'll be right back after this break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I can now confidently say I am a paella and plant master. So you know what I'm going to conquer next? Uh, let me guess. Uh, I got nothing. Pancakes! Oh, I should have known <laughs> because I'm right there with you. Thanks to Bespoke Post and Box of Awesome, Jimmy and I, we've been able to try our hands at all kinds of new things. Yeah, Box of Awesome is a monthly themed package sent straight to your door and guaranteed to upgrade your life. To get started, all you gotta do is take a quick quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers help them pick out the perfect box for you. And they have new boxes every single month across tons of different categories. My girlfriend and I got one that had the ingredients to make a delicious paella, which was a really fun thing to do together. And then of course, the best part, we got to eat it. <laughs> and I got the rooted box, which had everything I needed to plant a Diefenbachia houseplant. Wow. <laughs> From potting mix all the way to a mister that's gonna keep it fresh and healthy. The service is free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel at any time. And the boxes only cost 45 bucks, but have over $70 worth of gear inside. You know, we have a word for that, Jimmy. Oh. What is it? Oh, yeah. Value! <laughs> <laughs> so get 20% off of your first monthly box at boxofawesome.com and use the code COMMAND at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code COMMAND, to get 20% off your first box. All right, we are back. We previewed some double Masters cards, and now it's going to be the time that we talk about <laughs> Extra Turns. We just had an episode come out with Mitch and Lady. Mitch from the Commander's Quarters and Lady Danger from both Cousin Command's own podcast editing as well as her own Twitch stream. And we are going to do somewhat similar to the roundtables we do for, for game nights, but a little more expedient, a little less, uh, less in-depth. And, of course, before we get into it, you got to go watch the episode because we are going to talk about the winners. We're going to talk about everything that happens in the game. Spoiler alerts. So, All over the place. You could just walk into this blind and that would be interesting, but you probably won't get a lot of what's happening. So you can check that out. We'll have the links below in the show info as well as just go to our channel. You should see it. It's still really recent on the channel. And we teased this before the break, but we will be hearing from Mitch and Lady a little bit during this discussion. Cool. They've sent us some clips with their thoughts. I thought the first thing maybe we should do here is do a metagame breakdown Um of what the game looked like, and we'll do it really quick. So Lady was playing an Azuri Claw of Progress deck. 
Her game plan is to sneak through tons of damage out of nowhere because Azuri adds plus one, plus one counters to other creatures based mm-hmm. on your experience counters. So she's her deck basically is going to play a lot of mana dorks and eventually turn those mana dorks into threats by putting a bunch of plus one, plus one counters on them. She does have some combo potential. You know, one of the things I think if anybody ever is playing in a Zuri Claw of Progress deck, you got to ask or look at their list. Is they're a Sage of Hours. Ah, take counters off, take extra turns. Yeah, so with Azuri, it's easy to go infinite on turns with Sage of Hours. Her deck did have this card in it, so that was something to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has decent interaction in the deck because of counter spells and things you always have to worry about. Is somebody playing blue? Do they have counter spells? That's just whenever you're making your plays on your turn, you always got to glance at their board and be like, what mana do they have open? Hey, not to mention those Mandorks also add experience counters to Azuri, so they sort of serve a dual purpose here, both ramp in the early game and then getting more counters later That's why, on. Yeah, that's why they're so good, right? Yeah. You play them and they do like three things for you. All right, Mitch uh, was playing a budget version of Kenrith, the Returned King, which was really, really fun. Uh, the game plan here is pretty simple. He basically has a pillow fort control aspect going on. He wants to be taking people's creatures, disrupting other board states, and then do some trickiness with the activations of Kenrith. Uh, and of course, it was a budget deck under $100, I believe, which is pretty awesome because it is going up against some more expensive decks at the table. Now, he has a huge toolbox because Kenrith himself can pretty much do a little bit of everything. He can get cards out of the graveyard, so cards like Merciless Executioner, which makes everyone sacrifice a creature when there is the battlefield, Reclamation Sage to blow up some stuff, uh, Steve... The Kurt Tri-Builder. Steve! Um, and, you know, so being able to get those back over and over again means that Mitch can ramp out or get rid of a bunch of creatures and really just mess up other people's board states based on what they're doing so he can be more reactive than proactive. The Pillow Fort thing was Endless Fogs. He had the Spore Frog, the Fog Frog, Kami of the False Hope, also Children of Corliss. These are all ways to, like, prevent combat damage, prevent damage, get get life back for the damage you've taken. Yeah. That's sort of the pillow fort aspect of the deck. Really annoying, actually, to be honest. And then the deck sort of was, I think the plan to win was through, like, Defiant Bloodlord versus Kappa Guild Mage, which basically say whenever you gain life, your opponents lose that much life. And so using the life gain ability on Kenrith over and over to just be like, gain five, gain five, gain five, you all die. Yeah, it's very hard to beat that life gain, especially when you're running Biomancer's Familiar and Hearthstone, which basically allow him to activate Kenrith for much cheaper and thus multiple times a turn. But I think the important thing is Mitch's deck... I didn't know this going in, but after having seen it in action, it was very grave. It was very focused on Kenrith's ability to bring things back from the graveyard directly into play. Yep. That's why Fog Frog's so good, Merciless Executioner's Reclamation Stage, Steve, uh, so good in that deck. Yeah, just in general, a great build, though. I thought Mitch did a really good job oh, yeah. playing at the table, too. And if you watch the episode, he was Arch Enemy for quite a while. Um, my deck was Hapatra Vizier of Poisons. Won't go over it as much because it was played on game nights, and hopefully you're a little familiar with it. The game plan is you put negative one, negative one counters on stuff to kill that stuff, and then that makes snakes, and you eventually win with overwhelming an overwhelming army of tokens. So the the plan is kill creek key creatures with stuff like skin render serrated arrows vadi el doll negative one counters and then you just eventually hoof them out so you maybe get natural order tutor crater up mm, into nice. play or Beastmaster ascension something like that you're just like ah, i have 12 snakes now they're all 12 12s kill you all yeah and of course and they put counters on everything to kill all the other blockers so it's just a token strategy that has this sub theme of what it's doing to create the tokens is killing other things which right. i find to be 
fairly powerful. Right. Uh, and then I was playing Brea, Ethereum Shaper, a four-color uh, commander. It's all about artifact value engines. So uh, the main way that I want to use this deck is, of course, abusing Brea's ability. Uh, she comes in with two Thopters. So then you have Trading Post, you have Panharmonicon, you have Eldrazi Displacer, ways to get that activated ability over and over again. Trigger ability. Trigger ability, sorry. Uh, and then... Well, like, then, then you get to activate the ability, too. So I guess you're... Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Both, are both, right. both of them, right? And Brea is pretty good there. Uh, and then I like what you wrote here. Artifacto Crats. It's like Aristocrats, but for artifacts. So Krark Clan Ironworks, Ashnaught's Altar, Lifeline, which is a universal effect around the table, but typically when you're using it, you're just abusing the crap out of it compared to everyone else. It brings creatures back from the graveyard directly into play. Yep. Uh, Goblin Welder, which is a just a, such a disruptive, amazing card. Um, you choose target player and they <laughs> swap an artifact basically in and play. You chose with, the artifacts too. Yeah. Usually you choose yourself and say, I'm going to trade this artifact for this artifact in my graveyard and they swap places. Yeah. So you're like, I'm going to trade a Signet for a Blightsteel Colossus. But for another player, it could be like, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a treasure map back and you're going to lose your Panharmonicon or something yeah. crazy. Um, and then, of course, the win conditions are with cards like Perforos, which is doing damage every time creatures enter the battlefield under my control, and Marionette Master, which did the work in our last game, which is, again, just another way to get on death triggers for cards like the tokens that Brea makes or just any of the artifacts that you can sacrifice that are also creatures and there weren't any obvious infinites in the deck I do have Thopter Foundry but I sort of put it in there as a cute card to have in there but I didn't throw it with Sword of the Meek and I realized later on it's probably not the best card to play because everyone's just going to be afraid of the infinite the moment they see it. Well, it's funny because a lot of people have said in the comments they appreciated how your deck... Because there are like many very powerful versions of Brea that just are combo-tastic yeah. and tend to go infinite. And looking at your list, I think there probably are some infinites in there just on accident through synergy, but there's nothing obvious like Thopter Foundry sort of sort meek. Of make, yeah. You're like, I have one piece, but not the other piece. So um, I think a lot of people were appreciative with that. And it kind of, I think, made the decks on a more or less even keel... Um, I think all of these decks are pretty close to the same power level as we saw in the game. It was very give and take. Mm -hmm. So I have a question here. At the beginning of the game, Jimmy, you're the Brea player. Who do you think has the most powerful deck at the table? I would probably be the most afraid of just Mitch, just because Kenrith is so powerful and he has so many abilities that are always going to be relevant. Um, not to mention, like, I didn't know what Mitch was up to. And now now seeing, in retrospect, seeing what he was up to, I think he definitely had the most potential to just take over the game, right? Like, the Bray deck has a lot of value we can generate, but it's not going to hold the entire table, like, in a prison in the same way that the Kenrith deck could. Yeah, I think at the start of the game, I thought you were the most powerful deck, having known your deck. Um, it's definitely the most expensive deck. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. And then I guess the next question is, regardless of who you thought was the most powerful, who you know, who or whose deck were you the most worried about? So what's the worst matchup for your deck or for you? It's a it's a mix because it could be Hapatra, right? The minus one, minus one counters are really annoying. If I can't sacrifice my Thopters, you can just kill them instantly. Um, I think Mitch, though, again, just has the most ways to get rid of cards, right? Like, I'm not so worried about artifact removal from uh, you as much as I am from Lady or Mitch. Mm. And so I, I think in general, I'm, I'm pretty wary of Kenrith decks just because, again they can team up with another player, right? Like it's target player right, draws a card, true. all creatures gain haste and whatever. So like he can choose, okay, you know what? Jimmy's getting ahead. Josh, I'm going to team up with you. So I think that also usually terrifies me with that deck. Uh, and we have Mitch and Lady here with Clips weighing in about their thoughts, you know, on who had the most powerful decks or which deck at the table they were the most worried about. So let's play those clips. So the deck that I was most afraid of to start the match was definitely Jimmy's Brea deck. Brea is an incredibly powerful commander that can do a lot of crazy things. Uh, artifact synergies are a very powerful thing in Commander, 
And there's a lot of braided decks that I've seen so far that have a lot of kind of combos and loops and just kind of can gain an incredible amount of value for not really doing too much seemingly versus the other two decks were very much, I assume, were more combat based. And I had some ways in the deck to kind of deal with that, uh, you know, Spore Frog and whatnot. But artifacts and artifact synergies or something could definitely overwhelm my deck at a certain point. Plus, Bray can take out my commander pretty easily, too. So I was pretty worried about that as well. I think at the beginning of the game, I was probably more worried about Josh coming off of our last game we played together. So I was like, all right, I'm going to focus Josh. Everybody knows you got to kill Josh first. But then Jimmy started popping off and was doing all like shenanigan things. And Mitch was just going crazy, gaining life, taking people's stuff. And I was like, all right, now Mitch is the one. All right, so interesting thoughts from Mitch and Lady there. I'm scared of Azuri too, right? Because if I'm trying I mean, to win by value and she can just one-shot me out of nowhere, yeah. that's pretty scary. I mean, and the Sage of Hours could come out. It's not like... I, I think all decks are scary, right? Any deck at the table can win, but right. the, it's interesting to think, okay, before the game starts, who are you the most wary of? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about some mistakes that were made, especially some rules mistakes, but a, a, a couple were um, maybe sequencing mistakes. So... Yeah. Do you want to talk about the mass mutiny thing a lot of people pointed out? Yeah, so mass mutiny, uh, again, because this was extra turns, we don't have the same staff as we normally do for game nights, so a few things can slip under the radar. And this one's interesting because this requires you to basically active treason and steal creatures. However, the way that it was played on the show was Mitch cast it, people did respond, and then he named the targets that he was going to be taking with it. And then I will attempt to cast mass mutiny. Seems good. Sure, I'll let you do that. I don't think I can because Josh has death-touching snakes, and that's just my commander going away with no value. So I will tap two and sacrifice Brea as well as my Orzhov Signet. And I'm going to give a creature minus four, minus four until end of turn. I think this Azuri's got to go. I will put it back into his home. Okay, I will also have two additional triggers from the Marionette Master, so I'm gonna deal an additional four damage total. Uh, I'll do two to you, Mitch, and two to you, lady. I will take two. I'm in the business of making everyone hate me. <laughs> I will also take two. Uh, okay, so then Mass Mutiny resolves, yep. and you get to choose things. I do get to choose things. Uh, I will choose Rashmi, and I will choose the Marionette Master, and I'll choose Necroskitter. Yep. All right. Okay. And I'll take them until the end of the turn. There you go. Do they get haste? They do yep. get haste. Nice. Look at all the stuff you have now. Uh-huh. However, you are supposed to name the targets as you cast Mass Mutiny, so that means it's going to make a little difference in terms of me deciding what to sacrifice in response. Um, I don't think it ultimately mattered in this game. I think the sequence of events would have panned out the exact same, but that's just sort of a sequence thing that when you cast the card, you need to tell people, all right, X, Y, and Z are what I'm going to be taking, and then everyone can go around in turn order and be like, all right, I'll sacrifice this, or I'll do X to in response. Right. I think you had Brea and the Marionette Master. Yeah. If he had targeted Brea, then you would have sacked it and he would have got nothing, which right. does change what happens. If he targets Marionette Master, I think you do the same thing, which is sack, sack Brea one he's gonna, to yeah. get the Marionette Master trigger, and then he gets Marionette Master, yeah. so that wouldn't have changed anything. And then Lady and I, we had no way for that to matter at all because we didn't have any responses, so that didn't matter for us. So a small mistake on our part for sure. Doubt it changed the outcome of the game. Um, some people were pointing out the fact that there's a point where Mitch has a wheel breaker, on the battlefield and Fanatical Devotion, which is a white enchantment that allows him to sacrifice a creature and give something regenerate. Right, targeting it, thus stealing it with Willbreaker. Right, and so he plays uh, Willbreaker, Fanatical Devotion is already out, 
and then I let it resolve, and then he sacrifices a creature to steal my Hapatra, I believe, uh, and then I cross and grip the fanatical devotion, which is definitely a misplay on my part. I actually didn't really think about the fanatical devotion. I was like, oh, he's going to play Kenrith, uh, and then he'll use Kenrith's uh, ability to put a plus one, plus one counter on creatures to steal them. I saw that interaction. Which he did later, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't even think about the uh, fanatical devotion being used on other people's stuff, and so when he did the first time, I was like, crap. Well... I'll still, I still got a curse and grip, right? Because I don't want him to keep doing this. But yeah, yeah now I'm going to look dumb. But whatever, that's what happens. Um, and then there was a, a misconception of with a lot of people about how tokens uh, and dies triggers work, basically. Because yeah. Marionette Master will trigger and deal damage um, whenever an artifact dies. But you were sacrificing tokens and people were confused by that. Yeah, so tokens do act like regular cards when they die. It's just how what happens when they hit the graveyard. So when a token dies, it still dies. It goes to the graveyard. The graveyard will see the token hitting it. However, the moment that it leaves the battlefield and tries to enter another zone is when the token ceases to exist. This, this no, no. When it hits the graveyard. When it hits the graveyard, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's also what I'm saying. is that It needs to hit the graveyard be like, I'm in a new zone. I can't be here anymore. Now I'm gone. It's not like it tries to get into it and it gets rejected at the door. It like almost makes its way in. And then once it goes through, it like evaporates into nothingness. Cause... But it does take a step or two in, technically hits the graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Act, it triggers the dies trigger. So tokens will trigger dies triggers. They do touch the graveyard, if only briefly. Yeah, it's like just the, the, like dip their toe in the water and then poof, <laughs> they're gone. All right, let's revisit this idea of Mitch being the arch enemy. You know, Mitch really showing off what budget decks can do in this episode, which I thought was awesome. For much of the game, Mitch is the scariest uh, deck at the table, has the best board state. We're all teaming up against him out of necessity uh, because otherwise he's just going to take over. So we're kind of scrambling to kind of keep him under control. That will breaker. Yeah, so there was a really key moment, I thought, if you think about this moment and how the game plays out differently, if this doesn't happen, once he gets his will breaker, fanatical devotion thing set up, and he's just mass mutinied, hurt all our boards, sto- stolen a bunch of stuff. Yeah. He, uh, you, or sorry, you, you get Ugin out just at the, if, if one at more the, turn goes by, yeah, I he think untaps and has Kenrith. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You get Ugin out and then. The th- I think the big thing is Ugin exiles. Because mm-hmm. imagine later in the game, Willbreaker, if it just got destroyed, is in his graveyard and he can bring it back out with Kenrith. And then just activate Kenrith a bunch of times and start stealing things all over again. And yeah. if you kill the Willbreaker, he still brings it back out again with Kenrith. Right. So the fact that Ugin managed to exile Willbreaker was a huge, huge thing in this game. Because otherwise, yeah. Willbreaker is just like a thing we have to deal with constantly in the game. Yeah, because Fanatical Devotion is great, but his commander does well, the thing that Willbreaker wants. Right? And I got rid of Fanatical Devotion with Crescent Grip, so it wasn't yeah. even there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so that was definitely a very, very uh, interesting spot. I think Mitch became the arch enemy just because of a very simple fact we've seen in a lot of game nights. He had like 30 lands on the battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> he could just do so much, and Kenrith allows you to always spend that mana. Yeah. But he also had really clever, you know, dismiss into dream, if the fog frog over and over again. That was actually a thing where I just felt my deck could not beat that because right. I'm like, a token deck how am i going to win attacking with a bunch of stuff if he just always has a fog frog my whole my brain the entire game was like how do i get past that Mm -hmm. like how do i engineer a sequence where he's out of mana or something and then at that same moment i'm also able to kill him because otherwise with fog frog 
you your know, tokens just do nothing. Right, you're just... going to do shenanigans with Marionette Master and stuff. And, you know, Lady was in a similar, I think, situation to me where she was going to swing in with uh, a Blighted big creature. Agent or so something. we were both yeah. like, oh boy, this fog frog thing is really, really, um, really tough. It's annoying. I mean, like, even if, if imagine if I don't have my Perforos or Marionette Master out, then it's kind of like, all right, well, I have Thopters that can chip in damage and all that stuff. And that becomes, again, very untenable. So, and, and it was another thing where once the fog frog's out, like one of the ways for us to beat that is to all attack him because he can't fog frog all three of us. Mm-hmm. So even if like the one he's taking damage from is like two or three damage, it's still like eventually going to get there. And so I think that's one of the reasons that he was arch enemy. Yeah. Um, we do have some clips for from Mitch and Lady talking about the fact that Mitch's deck did so well and that he was the arch enemy <laughs> for much of the game. So let's hear from them. Yeah, so I definitely became arch enemy a bit too quickly. Uh, the deck had a really good start, a lot of ramp. I do say that it is a political deck and usually it tends to be Uh, But basically, I kind of was in a a position where I had to make a decision if I wanted to kind of go for it in that one turn or not. And the turn, uh, basically, I'm talking about is where I cast Mass Mutiny to gain control of a couple creatures, cast Willbreaker, and then I had a sack out on the board. I believe it was Fanatical Devotion, which allowed me to target creatures. So I could basically sack one of the creatures I stole, target a better creature, and so on and so forth. Basically, I could have just wiped everyone's board and gained control of the best creatures on the board. Uh, It didn't end up working out. You know, Josh had a great play with Crows and Grip, which kind of stopped me. You know, was it the right decision for me to go that way? You know, probably not because I did become arch enemy at that point and, you know, became a bigger threat or perceived threat to players. Uh, I could have sat back, but, you know, I just I felt like it was the right time to do that. And, you know, I was wrong. I mean, if you've actually watched any of Mitch's um, YouTube videos, you know that he's really, really good at building banger decks on a budget so i wasn't that surprised that his deck was fully functioning and keeping up with everybody at the table um but because it was functioning and keeping up and doing so well at the table he automatically became arch enemy because you could take different people's um creatures he was gaining a bunch of life and at that point there's two different sources for him to kill other people and be un killable or harder to kill that at that point I was turning my focus towards Mitch and Jimmy because at that point I didn't feel like Josh was that much of a threat that I couldn't deal with he's just gonna make tokens I'm making tokens I can chump block them I'm still getting my value off of the card entering the battlefield so I really wasn't losing too much if I was gonna trade with him but Jimmy was gonna be able to like destroy things and and do all kinds of crazy things with Brea so I was like all right These are the two that I need to focus on, which is why I did hit Jimmy first and then I hit Mitch afterwards. But I mean, when you're going off, you're going off. And at that point, it puts like a huge target on you. And you have to understand that, like, you're now probably going to be the focus. Nice. Yeah. All right. Interesting (laughs) stuff. It's always good to get everybody's perspective at the table and see how they were viewing things differently. Yeah, that's right. We don't like it's not game nights where we don't we get to get like a detailed view into everyone's decisions. Right. You kind of just see the game play out. So a lot more of those small nuances get lost there. Uh, Jimmy, you had an interesting point. We're going to call it mono e mono. At one point, uh, you and Mitch seem to be like laser focused on each other. Yeah, I think, you know. I had drawn like lands only for like three. If you notice in the middle of the game, I'm just like Westvale Abbey go. I yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just literally tokens. drawing like lands for like eight turns in a row or, or like eight cards in a row. Um, so I just can't do anything. I think Lady's gotten set back because she's kind of scary. So destroy Azuri once, bounce some stuff, right, and right. she just keeps rebuilding. So you and Mitch are just kind of going at it. And you had some interesting thoughts about those 1v1 moments in Commander. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when players don't, 
no one says like, don't attack me. I need to deal with this problem. That's a way that we usually declare a 1v1 is about to happen or a 1v2. Uh, in, in this case, Mitch and I just sort of recognized that we both were each other's biggest threats. And mm-hmm. so we need to go after each other. And I think the interesting part of this is that it effectively takes the game and it isolates two players to give them free turns of immunity, even though no one's talked about granting them that, right? Like there's no interest in me to swing out hard at Lady or Josh here. It's just me and Mitch. So it kind of gives the players that aren't at the table. And if you ever find yourself in this situation, I would say take advantage of it. It allows you to slip in something that may not have been uh, easy to do otherwise, like a combo piece, for instance, that everyone would have like gawked at had you played it out at that moment. But if two players are going hard at each other, you might have that exact breath, right? You were looking for a moment for Mitch to tap out so you could get in some damage. This might be one of those opportunities to try and engineer something like that. So I think it's a really interesting point when two players go at each other because it essentially says to the other players, hey, do whatever you want now because that's not the focus of this game and these two players have to duel it out. Now you could create your own rivalry with the other player that's not doing anything, but I think it's always in your best interest to use those turns to take a breath of air sometimes. You need like a small break to not just like always be on the defense. A lady need to rebuild her board. Josh need to find a way to get through to Mitch. So like these are moments I think that players can take advantage of in the future. And you can see I actually do take advantage of it near the end where I play Vidal Canori and right. my goal is to like let not be scary in any way. Let you two keep going at it. And right. then right, right. And then eventually, but then it's like Cyclonic Rift. Okay, play the Vidal again. Wait for my moment. Cyclonic Rift. Okay, play the Vidal <laughs> And my moment does eventually come. Uh, but that is a really good point when two players are going at each other. I think the thing you don't want to do as the other two players is play anything or any sequence of things that suddenly brings you into the conversation with them. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. We got to look yeah, over there yeah, now. Yeah. yeah you can like slip small things in, right? Like if you have two combo pieces, one of them is not so harmful, but the other one is clearly the big deal. Play the other one first. And then find the time to jam the other one in, you know, if you have that little small pocket. All right, so it's my belief that this particular match, this game, was decided based on sort of three key moments. Three mistakes, I'll call them. Some of the mistakes are uh, up to interpretation, obviously. Yeah. I don't think they're... I don't think they're... E- I don't think any of them are really large. Well, one of them, mine is large, but <laughs> the other two aren't large, but they do matter. So let's talk first about Mitch's, Mitch's miscalculation. So let me set it up. Mitch has dismiss into dream, which basically says if any of your opponent's stuff gets targeted by a uh, spell or ability, they have to sacrifice it. They become illusions. <laughs> uh, sequencing mistake here by Mitch is that Jimmy has Marchesa, the Black Rose, and Marionette Master out, and they both have plus one, plus one counters on them. And... Mitch removes with dismissing a dream. He targets Marionette Master first, mm-hmm. which allows Jimmy to sack it. But Marchesa's on the battlefield, so Marchesa sees the fact that Marionette Master dies, and then puts that delayed trigger on the stack that's going to bring it back. And then Mitch destroys Marchesa. I will cast Dismiss into Dream. Each of your creatures are now illusions, and if they are targeted by anything, anyone's abilities, they are sacrificed. Uh-huh. And then uh, I will put a plus one, plus one counter on your Marionette Master. Sick, it loves it. Oh, it's an illusion, <laughs> poof! And I will put a plus one, plus one counter on Marchesa. I should have done that first. And so Marchesa dies from the illusion thing. Definitely screwed that up. I will then pass the turn. Okay, at the end of your turn, Marchesa's trigger does exist, so Marionette Master's coming back on the battlefield, and I'm going to actually create three additional colorless servo artifact creature tokens. Okay. If he would have done it the other way around, Marchesa goes away, and then destroy Marionette Master now with Marchesa not on the battlefield, the Mar- Marionette Master actually wouldn't have come back. Yeah, and Mitch notes this at the table too and goes, 
I think he even says, uh-oh. Sort yeah, of like, whoops, I, that was a I made a mistake there, yeah. In fact, we have a clip from Mitch uh, talking about this moment and how big a deal he thought it was. Yeah, definitely a big misplay on my part, taking out Marionette Master, which then just came back because of Marchesa. Definitely should have taken out Marchesa first if I was thinking ahead, but I wasn't, and I definitely should have. Came back to bite me, you know, and actually some of the other players too. Marionette Master did a ton of work throughout the game. So that's definitely a, a play that I regret. Uh, and now hopefully I don't make that same mistake in the future as well when Marchese is on the board. I think this was pretty significant. Marionette Master, as we all know, is the way that I won the game. And it kept, you know, it was either bounced back to my hand or it was put into a position where it could come back to the battlefield. It was never just in the graveyard, which would made it a lot harder for me to get out of. So I think being able to constantly reset the Marionette Master and decide, okay, do I want the tokens or do I want the plus one, plus one counters? It was, was what sort of ultimately led to me being on the clutch victory there. So I think this is a pretty big one for Mitch. It's interesting because I don't think it actually matters to mitch that much because i think he would have still died in the exact same way oh yeah yeah yeah. right (laughs) but it matters to lady and i because i think we maybe get one more turn at the end because without marionette master you really didn't have an uh an immediate way right to like kill us with damage or anything we were at decent life totals and i don't think you probably kill us both in one turn and the fact that i had contagion engine still and some other stuff and you had a lot of poison count like one more turn maybe mattered. So yeah. Mitch, Mitch's mistake for himself, I don't think matters at all. He still would have died <laughs> in the same way. But for Lady and I, maybe it would have opened up the door just enough that maybe just we would have had a chance. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So let's talk about Lady's laps. I like these names, by the way. Yeah. You know, we write a good copy sometimes. <laughs> uh, so here's the situation. Jimmy is dead on board to a blighted agent. He's taken five infect from it already, and it's a 5-5. Five, five. And it's Lady's turn, and Jimmy has three mana open. Uh, including one blue and lady's about to go to attacks and jimmy you basically threaten to bounce her blighted agent if it comes at you i think you say i'm not i'm not going to die right now so if you swing that at me i will bounce it with by the way cyclonic rift which is a card that i play later on in the game yeah i mean at the time we didn't know with cyclonic rift what we could guess right um and then I have Maze of Ith, so she can't attack me. And she had made a deal not to attack Mitch, so she simply decides not to attack with the Blighted Agent. I think she chips in with the Zuri, gets you for a couple of damage, um, but Blighted Agent just stays home. Uh, if you attack me, I will bounce it. That's my response. I'm just telling you now, you will get rid of card in my hand, but it will not go through because I'm not dying right now. Or you could just kill Mitch. She, she, she made a deal. I made a deal. Hey, where does your bond? All right, Jimmy, I will attack you for three. Okay, I'll take three commander damage. Um, which a lot of people in the comments pointed out as what they thought was a misplay because later on you do deploy the Cyclonic Rift at a much better time, set everybody's board back, and I think that's the moment where you kind of take command of the game. Yeah. Um, so, well, we do have a, a clip from Lady here about whether she even thinks that this was a mistake or whether she'd do something differently uh, if she had it to do over again. I don't think it's so much of a mistake that I didn't attack Jimmy with my blighted agent. He said he was going to bounce it. So at that point, it had a bunch of counters on it. I guess it really wouldn't have been that bad if it went back to my hand, but I didn't know if it was going to go back to my hand. It could have gone to my graveyard. Um, So I would probably make the same mistake again. Like, yeah, it was really unfortunate that Jimmy's Cyclonic Rift afterwards, but I made a deal with Mitch, and I'm going to keep my deal. That's just how I play. Um, I couldn't attack Josh, and so to me, it was more valuable to be able to keep the Blighted Agent and, and you know, be able to use it, because obviously I can't tell the future of what's going to happen. Um, and 
uh, keep the blighted agent and so I could use it later to, you know, put the nail in the coffin for Mitch, which luckily I didn't have to do myself. And yeah, I definitely, I would have, I would have made the same play again. Um, I don't think it was so much as a mistake as just a, a choice to uphold uh, my integrity at the table. Um, but yeah. So I don't know, Jimmy, what do you think here? Uh, do you think this was even a mistake on her part? I think, you know, I'd have to go adhere to the Craig Blanchett style of playing Infect, which is don't give up, never surrender, just keep chomping on the person that you've chomped on. Um, because even if I do bounce it, that's a card out of my hand. No one at the table is going to be like, aha, lady's open, let's get her now, because they see her sort of clearly in a 1v1 versus me in that similar, similar situation I was talking about earlier. So I think... It's tough because, like, Lady was already off to a start where things were a little slower. And mm -hmm. I think throughout this game, too, she kept getting reset and had to rebuild. So I can understand why, like, the threat of a bounce feels more impactful at that moment. Um, at the same time, I could also, I, I can see the argument for not attacking. Because, right, that Blight Agent could get really big next turn with Azuri and then just one-shot someone else. Right. Yeah, I think it's really hard to have somebody sort of put a threat in or, or, or threaten you in that way. Like I'm going to destroy that thing. I'm going to bounce that thing. I'm going to whatever. Mm -hmm. And to not immediately have the reaction of like, okay, hold on. I got to, uh, let's not do that then. But, and I've done this on game nights, right? Where I'm like, I'm going to, even if you have it, use it. Right. Like, nope, go ahead then. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do it then. Because the, I think the thinking in your head has to be like, okay, fine. There's, there's two scenarios. One, they're bluffing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's always some, chance that they don't have what they say that has whether that's a big chance and i think in this case not large jimmy has open mana he literally is specific about what he's going to do he doesn't say i'm going to stop it he says i'm going to bounce it yeah so probably not a bluff but that's not a zero percent chance it's a bluff right it's a two to five percent chance it's a right, bluff right. so you got that equity that you're getting and then also you have to think is it better for me if they do the thing now or if they do it later and the fact that it's most probably cyclonic rift says to me that's not overloaded cyclonic rift if i can make him use a cyclonic rift that's not overloaded yeah then i need to do it and so i think yeah I, I do think it was a misplay not a huge one and one that i've definitely made in games um where you just don't call them on it don't make them have it don't make them use it but i think the audience is correct here i think it would have been more advantageous to just because your blinded agent is bounced then because it's never going to kill jimmy Mm -hmm. right if he's got that spell and he knows it's lethal to him he's gonna hold it up at all times he can never tap out right because he can't just leave himself in a position where like i hope she doesn't swing at me with it if i have an answer in hand yeah the only other option would get it up to 10 and just try and one shot someone else like mitch at a, yeah. so i can see the value there but at the same time i think even just replaying it gets you another experience counter so maybe. it's a bounce it's you replay it and then azuri triggers so mm -hmm. you know it's not the worst thing yeah. yeah um all right let's talk about my play which i think was the biggest one in the game because i had a chance to win the game JLK misplay. Yeah, All I right. couldn't come with up with the uh, what's it when the first two letters uh, uh, that thing. Yeah, uh, synced up letters <laughs> <laughs> acronym. No, so I rhymed it. Instead. Never mind. I I, I I stopped trying. Okay. Um. So on the final turn, my final turn, I flash in Contagion Engine with Vidalcanori. Mitch is at seven poison. I proliferate twice, bringing him up to nine poison and Jimmy up to seven, and then I untap on my turn. And here's where I make the mistake. I'm sorry, Mitch. Yeah, I feel like I have to because if you untap, then you're in that loop I can never get out of it. That's completely <laughs> fair. Uh, I will tap four and the Contagion Engine to proliferate twice. Okay. I will target the poison counters again on Jimmy and Mitch and the Avengers of Zendikar can get two more. 
That's two more snakes. I'm gonna do everyone's a big favor, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm gonna sacrifice a spore frog. Oh, yes. all Prevent right. some combat damage in case Josh has any shenanigans this turn. You guys are safe. You truly are the king. And then I died to infect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that totally matters. The spore frog thing changes my plans a lot. MVP of the game. <laughs> Nicely done. Okay, I will pass the turn. Alrighty. What I should have done here is gone to attacks, attack Jimmy with everything. Yep. And then, you know, let that damage happen and then activate my contagion engine, killing Mitch. What I end up doing is activate my contagion engine, killing Mitch, and in response, he sacrifices the fog frog, Ooh. which blanks my attack for that um, for turn. that turn. Yep. So I can't attack uh, Jimmy and do any damage to him. And I had like twenty snakes or like a ton of creatures. I believe I had like Beastmaster Ascension or something in my hand too. So you would uh, have just then absolutely would have killed me. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Which I then didn't play because it wouldn't matter, and I was going to flash it in on my end step, but I didn't get another or on your end step, but right. I didn't get another turn. Um, so it's kind of a huge mistake on my part because think about it this way. Even if I'm mid-attack and he decides to sacrifice the Fog Frog, in response to that, I can kill him on the stack. Right. And Fog Frog never resolves. Ah, uh, so yeah, you gave him basically the chance to have priority in the wrong scenario there. Yeah, exactly. And so really huge mistake on my part. Um, I just didn't actually consider the fact that... Mitch he, would go out swinging? Yeah, that he would fog frog when he was dead. I, You know, it was foolish, foolish, and totally on my on me. I, I don't think what he did was wrong in any way. Uh, but my brain just didn't think of that. It was just like, okay, he'll be dead, and then I'll do this thing. Right. Um, which just shows, like, the swing that can happen from pop, proper sequence. I think you win the game then, right? Basically, at that point, it'd be very hard for us to get back. I believe in my calculations, I kill you, and Lady's very, very low. And unless she has a board wipe, I have, you know, a bajillion tokens. And a Beastmaster Ascension, yeah. Yeah. So, It's a yeah. good lesson, though. You know, when you're about to remove a player and they have open mana, they will sometimes take that opportunity to be like, all right, well, before I go, I'm going to do something. I definitely do this all the time. Yep. And especially if it's on board, so just definitely pay attention to those things, especially commanders with Kenrith with tons of activated abilities. There's a lot that can happen there. He can make people draw cards, yada, yada. Yeah, I think it is reasonable and you should expect it. And also, if it's you, you should do it, which is... If you're getting knocked out, but on the way down, you can throw some punches to hurt the person that's knocking you out, you should do that. Yeah, totally. Because I like to set the precedent too. Like if you come after me and try and knock me out of the game, even if I can't defeat you, I can wound you so that you cannot win the game anymore. Yeah. And, you know, that should be a, a deterrent to you in the future coming after me unless you're very sure that I can't throw those, you know, those punches from the grave that the, mm -hmm. I think the Russians used to call, they, they had like, you know, in the Cold War, how they uh, set it up so that even if they got hit by the nukes, they would still launch theirs. They called, oh, right. they called it the dead hand, I think, oh, in the Soviets. So like this idea, so yeah, this idea that you are going to throw whatever you've got even on the way falling backwards as you die. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, that's a thing I'm a proponent of and I do myself. So not seeing it from Mitch is like inexcusable, huge mis miscalculation on my part. Yeah, you're like Kogma from League of Legends or Borderlands 2 when you get down, but you can still get back up by yep. just shooting a couple more bullets at the end there. Yeah, so uh, that's the big play in the game, I think, where, I, you know, the huge misplay, which is funny because not very many people pointed that out in the right. comments. It's a uh, hard one to think about just because there's a lot in terms of like, right, what if he does it when? It's like, ah, but then you can kill him before it resolves. 
Yeah, it's easy to be like, uh, I lost that game and they did this and that. But right. I like I prefer to tackle from the point of like, okay, what are mistakes I made? That cruise and grip play, that could, yeah, that's yeah. a mistake that I made. This play at the end, that you know, that one's obvious because it's at the very end, and I think right. I, I just straight win in, in that moment. But still, um, interesting. And so I think it's also fitting that there's no major mistake from Jimmy. I'm not saying you didn't make any mistakes in the game, but we talk about Mitch, Lady, me, Jimmy. No mistake ends up being the winner of the game. Seems like how it should be. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, all, sort of like, you know, you're the last person standing, only one may stand type dealio. It's a, player that, it's a strategy game. It's a tactical game. Yeah, you're climbing. If you make less mistakes than your opponents, that should be an advantage, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, uh, last thing we're going to do here is talk a little bit about the budget. Uh, I think this game says a lot, right? My deck filled with dual lands, filled with nice I like foil at, cards. At one point, yeah, we're like, look at Mitch's uh, land base. It's all basic lands. Look at Jimmy's. And you're like, I, I know, I feel bad about it, okay? Yeah, and I think players correctly know that, like, like my one single dual land was worth more than Mitch's entire deck. However, look at the power levels, right? This should be a rallying cry for everyone out there that complains about how much a deck costs because they can't, they think that money equates power in this format. There are ways to build budget. There are tons and tons of ways to do cheap, low the ground decks that are very powerful. And I think Mitch, again, makes a great case here for all of those players. So I don't want to hear it anymore because Mitch has shown the way you can be very powerful on the budget. Yeah. In fact, we can hear directly from Mitch uh, and Lady because they've sent us some clips about their thoughts on the pay-to-win idea <laughs> and budget in Commander. Yeah, I think that this was a really good showcase for what a budget deck can do against perhaps more expensive Commander decks. I think that some people see Commander as a pay-to-win format. You know, if you, oh, I bought all the Alpha Duels or whatnot, it's going to help my deck. It only helps incrementally, like very small percentages. You know, I use a ton of basic lands and they work just fine, even in five-color decks. So, you know, there are plenty of ways that you can cut costs and still have a very effective deck that works pretty well. Um, but yeah, I'd say that, you know, Commander is probably the perfect format for budget for a couple of reasons. I mean, it's a singleton multiplayer casual format. And all those things kind of work really well together with playing on a budget because... Well, Singleton, first of all, there's a lot of variance. You know, your one card out of 100 is only going to make so much of an impact. So spending $500 on a singular card to put in your deck might not be the best, you know, versus just kind of trying to work in synergies uh, versus, you know, in standard, you know, four cards out of 60 can essentially be the same. So you're going to have a lot higher percent chance of getting that card in every single game versus in Commander, your percent chance of getting that card in every single game is extremely low unless you're running extremely a lot of tutors and, and whatnot. And that I'd say that's kind of different when it comes to a casual format versus like a CDH format where, yes, you probably need to put a lot of money into your CDH deck to probably win because, again, there's a lot of tutors. It kind of takes out a little bit of that variance, but that's probably a different discussion. Uh, and again, multiplayer, you can kind of use politics, you know, which I did not in this game uh, very well, but you can use politics to try and get a leg up on your opponents as well. So I think there's just a lot of different factors that allow for budget decks to kind of shine and still perform against perhaps more expensive decks because, again, you know, variance, multiplayer, and the fact that it's a casual format, I think budget decks can, uh, can definitely perform. I feel like I hear it all the time that um, Magic is pay to win and so-and-so other game is pay to win and this game is pay to win. And at the end of the day, I feel like for Magic specifically, it's what you make it. I've had standard decks that are sub $50 that have wrecked face in the right meta. So, And a lot of my commander decks aren't that expensive. You know, They might seem like they're expensive because I've had them for a long time and a lot of the cards that are in them have gone up in price, but I didn't spend a lot of money when I originally built them. And I usually don't spend a lot of money. I try not to spend maybe more than $300 when I'm building a deck. Um, so at the end of the day, Make it what you want it to be. A lot of the times you can spend a lot of money on a deck and not be able to pilot it correctly and make a ton of mistakes. And at the end, like, was it worth it to spend all that money? Maybe because you like the cards, but 
I I'm I think that it's not pay to win at the end. I, I don't think it's pay to win. I think it's what you want it to be and how you want to make it. And, you know, this is a great example that you can have a very budget deck and do as well with cart like with decks that are like twice or three times the amount of money that yours is worth if you know how to build your deck well and you know how to pilot it well. So I think I think magic's what you make it. All right. I mean, I, I, I want to say, and we've said this many times on the show, but when Mitch was in town, he was in town for a couple of days. He did that podcast episode. Y'all remember from mm-hmm. a long time ago now. And we had a night where we got to play a bunch of games. We gathered and played three, four, five games with Mitch over the weekend, maybe six. And if he didn't say, if you didn't know who Mitch was and what he stood for as far as budget, then you never would have known based on the way his decks performed, um, that they even were budget. Yeah. Because it never seemed at any moment in any game that I played with Mitch over that entire time period that his decks were disadvantaged in any way. In fact, he won a, a few of the games that we played and we were just playing with our normal decks because our play group, it's not like we've got like $50 deck hidden away somewhere right. to play with. We're just playing with our regular stuff in our regular way and treating Mitch just like any other player at the table and that's how we should be treating him because A, Mitch is a really good player. B, he's a really good deck, deck builder. builder. Yeah, But yeah, the budget stuff can absolutely hang with anything. Maybe, you know... Up until an eight, eight and a half maybe? Even then, yeah. I think up until like CEDH level stuff, right? right. Once you get into the top tier and you need Grim Monoliths and stuff, maybe Force of Wills and things like that, maybe CEDH is tough on a budget. I bet there's even one or two decks that you could build on a budget up there, but you might not be able to build just any style deck up at CEDH. But yeah. anything up to like in the casual tables at all, because most of our decks, you know, people have commented our play group, it has Craig in it. Like most of our decks are in the eight range, right? Sevens to eight. Seven to eight, yeah. Yeah. And so the fact that Mitch is just having no problem whatsoever hanging in and and holding his own and winning games in that uh, environment just tells you that budget is just, it's just a mindset. If you... Spend the time, watch uh, Commander's Quarters, you know, Commander's Brew Guys are really good at this, and really pour through EDH Rec and gather and everything else. You can find the cards and the combinations that will, you know, stand up to Jimmy and his dual lands, or, <laughs> or, or me and a guy's cradle, or whatever else. And like, Mitch, by the way, was playing a five-color deck, and I was playing a four-color deck. So again, you don't need to have every dual land to make those kinds of decks work. You just have to build your deck correctly. And Mitch will tell you how to do that on his channel. All right, and that's going to wrap up the discussion on the latest episode of Extra Turns. But one more thing that we wanted to mention is that Mitch, on his uh, YouTube channel, The Commander's Quarters, has actually started his own gameplay video series. It's called Close Quarters. It's really high production quality, as you've come to expect from Mitch. It's really slick. It's uh, it's actually really, really good. And, well, I could gush about it here, or we can let Mitch tell you about it himself. Yes, I'm excited. Close Quarters is my new Commander's Quarters gameplay series, and people seem to be really enjoying it so far. A lot of positivity in the comments, and I really have all of you to thank over the Command Zone. Uh, Not only did you kind of help me get the word out there through social media, but also just kind of Game Nights was a huge inspiration for the series. You know, you set such a high bar when it comes to quality for what a Commander gameplay series can be, and and Josh has been so great at kind of answering kind of any, you know, technical questions that I have, you know, on, on how stuff works. I know when I was at your studio, you know, basically I pretty much had a lot of questions on, you know, what's this? What's that? What's this? And you know, kind of when I was building my studio, I was definitely keeping a lot of those things in mind. So yeah, again, thank you so much for all your help. And yeah, if you haven't seen Close Quarters yet, make sure you check it out and let me know what you think in the comments. Yeah, definitely a really cool new series and we encourage you to check it out. All right, to the listeners, which error do you think was the biggest in the game? Which uh, 
do you think would have changed the outcome of the game the most? Yeah. Spoiler alert, I think it's mine. But And if you want to talk about our spoiler cards as well, Avacyn, Ratchet Bomb, please go ahead, do so in the comments. Do you use Ratchet Bomb? If so, what deck is it good in? Yeah, let us know. It's probably like a some proliferate deck. It's not even getting into tracks though, right? <laughs> and if you find inspiration from the comments or just this episode in general from extra turns or preview cards, make sure to buy some of those cards because they are now available. A lot of them are, especially as these double masters, masters cards get previewed. You can go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's our affiliate link. Use that single link for all of your magic card needs, your singles, your sealed product, your jumpstart boosters to play with your friends, your Ikoria suite, Triome lands with the alternate art. Whatever it is, Card Kingdom has got you set and you're supporting the show when you do so just cardkingdom.com slash command zone it's as easy as that type it in now a lot of the cards from double masters are still going to be at a very high price point and they're going to slowly crawl up over time these are expensive cards cards that you want to keep in very good condition best way to do that is to slide all that stuff into a nice ultra pro sleeve keep it in a very secure ultra pro deck box play it onto an ultra pro Playmat Ultra Pro really does make the stuff that Jimmy and I personally trust our own collections to keeping safe. They really do make all the best stuff to protect all your game pieces. So Ultra Pro, great sponsor of this show and a great way to protect all of your cards. Okay, let's go to the end step here where we talk about something cool outside of the, the world of magic. <laughs> Jimmy, I'm a little bit upset because the last episode I with the know, professor... he buried... He, Your he, lead. He used what I wanted to talk about in the M step. So, but I think you still can a little bit. You can gush about it a little bit because it is that good. I'm gonna do a little take on it too. Which okay, is, cool. So there'll be there there will be something new here. But first of all, Hamilton, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. I love Hamilton. I and think, Betty or whatever Peggy. Yeah. Whatever his name is. <laughs> uh, uh, if you haven't watched it, it's on Disney Plus right now. It's um. The Broadway original yeah. cast, it, they added extra production to it. It's fantastic. Yeah, so I saw it when it came through L.A., mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't the original cast. Lin-Manuel was not in it. Um, so it was re- it's been really great to watch it on Disney+. Plus. In fact, I've watched it a couple of times. Nice. Like, it's hard for me to express, like, how in awe I am of that entire thing. Like, the fact that Lin-Manuel wrote it mm-hmm. and stars in it. Mm-hmm is insanity and organized pretty much i mean right like he is a huge creative he's the lyrics he's the book he's the lead yeah it's crazy and the fact that like the way that he weaves the lyrics is so insane as you listen to you're like how did one guy do all this i mean obviously a a show takes a ton of different people to come together like that so i don't want to just claim like it was only one person but yeah like he's the main person whose mind it comes from for a lot of this stuff and so yeah, it's just mind-blowing to me. As I'm watching, I'm just so in awe of the whole thing. Um, you know, I'm a theater major like you, so just the whole thing. is like it's I incredible. understand, like, how hard it is to do all this stuff. And it, You could give me a year, and I couldn't write half of one of those songs. I mean, I think, right? it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's, like, 20 songs in this thing Infinite that are all Infinite amount of brilliant. time could not write one of those songs. It's <laughs> unfathomable to me that some a person was able to do it. So, anyway, okay, you guys talked about Hamilton last time. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to bring up something that's sort of ancillary to it, which is there's a documentary on mm-hmm. Hulu, and it's called We Are Freestyle, Freestyle Love Supreme. Yeah. And so... Something that's fascinating to me about, like, I'm going to say geniuses, brilliant people, artists, but not just, you know, I think people have been obviously fascinated with Einstein or, you know, Steve Jobs, these these larger than life figures who come up, you know, who change the world in really interesting ways or just see the world in a different way. And so the the roots of where those people come from and sort of the foundational pieces that sort of 
you know, track along the path to what we see when they come onto our radar is not, you know, the moment where they were formed, right? Right. There's all this formation stuff that happens beforehand. So we are Freestyle Love Supreme is the documentary that follows Lin-Manuel and his crew just basically from right out of college until the time that Hamilton comes out and kind of really gives you a great look at the roots of where a lot of this stuff comes from because they ran a freestyle rap improv group yep basically and it's insane as you watch this stuff <laughs> that you like like we've done improv can you imagine you're also on top of doing the improv you have to freestyle rap the rap whole, it's, it's and rhyme <laughs> it's, it's so hard it's crazy the talent and it, there's a whole group and Lin-Manuel is just one of them but you can really see like where he sort of got to experiment and try out his style and figure out a lot of things that I'm sure that he used in Hamilton. Yep. And uh, some of the cast members from Hamilton are even in that group. And, and they involved. actually took the show to Broadway, Freestyle Love Supreme, yep. for a little bit as well after after Hamilton. After Hamilton, yeah. yeah. So just a really, really cool look at where a lot of this stuff came from, where a lot of that talent came. You know, there's this saying in Hollywood that I love, which is that you have to work years and years to be an overnight success. <laughs> That's you know? like, I like that. Because there's this idea that like lightning strikes and the one idea comes and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in famous. In no time at all, the brilliance came out and yeah, you're the biggest thing in the world. But it takes years and years and years to build up the skills and life experience and everything else there. that gets you that overnight success. So right. we are Freestyle Love Supreme. And my friend Utkarsh Ambukdar is in it. He was also in Pitch Perfect. Uh, also was had a small role in Mulan, so that's where I got to know him. Yep. Pretty cool to see just him being casual flex. Oh, yeah, Lynn. I know him. Like, oh, you... Wasn't he almost um, uh, Aaron Burr, too? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure, actually. I'd have to ask him. Yeah, I think that like he was because obviously Lynn and the whole crew like one of George Washington from the main cast is in right. Freestyle of Supreme and I, I think that you know he had ditched into most of those people and so anyway, cool uh, stuff. All right, all right. Moving on to the clamp step, our editing, graphics, and logistics team here at the Command Zone Podcast is Ashlyn Rose, Craig Blanchett, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Jake Boss, Josh Murphy, Alfred Desaka, and Sam Waldo, and Patrick Nunn. And Patrick Don, yes, also helping out on some of the VFX and card effects that you'll see in game nights. We're just always adding people around here. Yeah. And uh, special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animations that begin the show and sit behind us here on set. You can find him on Twitter at livingcardsmtg. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. 
answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.